graciously, mercifully, and then he gives a command. Um, We see this in Exodus 20 with the people of Israel uh, having been freed from Egypt. And he says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And so you, you hear in this, you see this. I'm the Lord God who saved you. I brought you up out of Egypt. There's the grace. And then he says, now, here is the command. And then he goes into the Ten Commandments that I'm sure you are familiar with. (coughs) God saved Israel. Then he gave the commandments. And this is the pattern that we see all throughout Scripture. This is different than every other religion. Every other religion, every other um, system of belief, what they will do is they will say, if you follow our commands, if you obey what we're saying, if you act the way we want, then you can receive favor. But for God, grace precedes the command. And that is where we are in Ephesians. We are at this turning point. We've been hearing for three chapters about the grace of God. We've been hearing for three chapters about what God has done. Um, (coughs) One person put it this way. Do we have that quote there? He said, for three chapters, Paul has been unfolding for his readers the eternal purpose of God being worked out in history through Jesus Christ, who died for sinners and was raised from death. God is creating something entirely new. Not just a new life for individuals, but for a new society. Paul sees an alienated humanity being reconciled, a fractured humanity being united, even a new humanity being created. Now the apostle moves on from the new society to the new standards which are expected of it. So he turns from exposition to exhortation from what God has done in the indicative to what we must be and do in the imperative, from doctrine to duty, from the credenda to the agenda. I like that one, it's catchy. From mind-stretching theology to its down-to-earth concrete implications in everyday living. That's where we are. And so now we're getting into the next three chapters are going to be these commands And the way Paul is framing it is he is framing it this way. We see it in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul is framing this saying, look at everything God has done. He, He saved you. He's brought you into this family. And now let's talk about what that walk needs to look like as a member of God's family. So here he says, you have been called, not not you forced your way in, you have been called, there is God's grace, and now he's saying, live up to that calling. You could think about it this way, Um, you know, those of you who have kids, those of you who who may have kids someday, you, you will experience this as well. When you become a new parent, and you're in that room, 
and the, the doctor hands you this baby, there are all kinds of emotions, or, or, or maybe, maybe the baby, maybe you adopt, or maybe some other way, but there are all kinds of emotions. You're looking at this, this thing, and, and it's all of a sudden, you have this realization, I'm a parent now. I wasn't before, but now I am, and I'm supposed to keep this tiny human alive. I can't do what I used to do before. I, I am a parent now. Um, I, I have to start living like it. I have to start acting like it. I need to reorient my life. I have to learn how to change diapers. I have to learn about sleep schedules, tummy time, um, how to play with a three-month-old. You, you really kind of don't. Versus how to play with a 10-month-old, how to play with a five-year-old. You have been called. You have become a parent. Something has changed in you, and now you have to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Paul is saying here, he says in Romans, he says you've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. And here he's saying that you are, are called, you are called out of division uh, the division that was between Gentile and Jew, and you have been called into one body, one group, one family. You have been called, and now walk in a manner that is worthy of that. Begin to live out that reality of who you now are in Christ. So, how do we do that? How do we walk? in a manner worthy of that calling. Well, he begins here to paint a picture of it, and he kind of starts describing different aspects to it so that by the time we get to the end of this letter, you you have a very full picture of what it looks like. And here, here, the aspect of that walk that he's talking about specifically relates to Christian unity, to unity in the body of Christ. What does it take to walk in Christian unity? You see it there in verse 2 and 3. So he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So five things, five things that he tells us we need to do. Five things that should characterize our walk. The first one is humility. The first one is humility. Um, I love the way one person's put it. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not piling on, I'm a worm, I'm the worst, right? It's not, that's not humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. Uh, it's thinking of yourself less. Or, or you could say it's thinking about others more, thinking more of others. Now, that was actually shocking in Paul's day. That was shocking in Paul's day. I, I would say as, as shocking as it is, Maybe in hours. So um, lowliness, uh, this is from someone else. He said, lowliness was much despised in the ancient world. The Greeks never used their word for humility in a context of approval. So they never said someone was humble in a way that was a compliment. It was always like, can you believe that guy over there? He's humble. And here's why. When they used that word, what they meant by it was an abject, servile, subservient attitude, the crouching submissiveness of a slave. Humility in Jesus' time and beyond could actually get you in trouble. There was an emperor, uh, AD 68 to 69. He had a very short reign. His name was Emperor Galba. I think we have a picture um, of, a, of a bust of this guy. Lexi, do we have that picture? 
So Emperor uh, Galba, this is him, um, doesn't look like a particularly pleasant guy. Uh, Emperor Galba was accused of humility. And because of that, he was eventually murdered and overthrown. Right? Humility was not something that, that you would have thought of as a good thing back then. And it's not always something that is a good thing uh, when you think about it here. There are billions of dollars being pumped into all kinds of different industries that are meant to help you think about yourself more than anybody else. Humility is not always something that we desire, but Paul says that Christian unity requires it. If you want to walk as Jesus walked, you must be humble. In fact, in Philippians, he says this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, so it's not saying you have to neglect yourself, but also to the interests of others. So look at other people more than you look at yourself. Humility is what gives you the ability to apologize. Humility is what gives you uh, the ability to take work that is beneath you to provide for your family. And humility is something that actually leads to gentleness, which is the next thing in here. You have been called to walk with humility and gentleness. Now, gentleness here is different than you might be thinking. It's not a soft tone of voice. It's not being careful with breakable things. Gentleness, the word used here for it, is this. It is the absence of the disposition to assert personal rights, either in the presence of God or men. It is the absence of the disposition to assert personal rights, either in the presence of God or men. So, so it actually can kind of help us see what that means if you think about the opposite, right? Have you ever known somebody who's kind of uppity? You know, or somebody that just, they have to have their own way all the time. Maybe they even kind of carry around this mindset of, you know, if all of you would just do what I want, everything would be fine, right? Um, There is a a name for that in our culture. I'm I'm really sorry. I know we have some of you out there. But the name that gets used in our culture, if you ever hear it, is a Karen. I'm sorry, Karens. I would have picked a different name, like Helga or Olga or something. But if you hear culture talking about a Karen, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about someone who is the opposite of gentle. Because someone who is gentle is willing to admit that what I prefer, the thing that I prefer, might not always be the best. And I'm willing to subject that to others when necessary, especially for the sake of unity. Now, what that does not mean is that does not mean compromising on truth. And that is why we need patience. Again, this word doesn't mean exactly what you're used to it meaning here in this context. It doesn't mean you can wait in the car when your spouse is in Target or Home Depot taking a long time and you don't get upset. That's not the context here. The context isn't waiting. The context here is this. It is persistence in one's convictions, even when circumstances make this difficult. Persistence in one's convictions, even when circumstances make this difficult. 
So you can think of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, that, that good book by John Bunyan. And you remember some of the characters. You remember there's, there's Christian, and he's, he's going to be leaving the city, and there is someone who comes with him. Do you remember his name, anybody? It's probably been a while. His name is Pliable. Pliable it's a, uh, is a name for this guy. And, and what happens is he's going with Christian. He thinks, all this sounds great. I want to get out of the city. I don't want to be there when it's destroyed. I want to go to the heavenly city. And so Christian and Pliable, they start walking. And then they get to the slew of despond. <clears throat> and all this stuff just starts piling on him. And Christian keeps going. But Pliable says, you know what? This has gotten really hard. <laughs> And I know what you said about that heavenly city. And I know I said I wanted to come with you. And and I know that I I thought that this was the truth. But I think this is a really good time to turn around. And so Pliable turns around and he goes back. He did not have what Paul here would call patience, persistence in one's convictions, even when circumstances make this difficult. Can I remain steadfast in biblical convictions? Can I remain steadfast in truth? Not preferences. That was gentleness, right? But can I remain steadfast in truth, in biblical convictions, even when it's hard, even when I don't want to, even under the pressure of loved ones saying, how could you believe that? That is patience. Then there's bearing with one another in love. Anyone have that one family member? And if they're here, don't you turn and look at them. (laughs) Anyone have that one family member that is annoying? Or that coworker that you just can't stand? Paul is saying, in the church, among the people of God, you are called not just to tolerate them, you are called to love them. It's, uh, it's kind of like that song. I'll be over at 10. You told me time and again, but you're late. I wait around and then I went to the door. I can't take anymore. It's not you. You let me down again. Baby, baby, try to find a little time and I'll make you happy. I'll be home. I'll be beside the phone waiting for you. Why do you build me up? Buttercup, baby, just to let me down mess me around and then worst of all you never call baby when you say you will say you will but I love you still do you hear that do you hear what he's saying he's saying I'm not just putting up with this I'm not just putting up with you I want relationship I want to be together why because I love you that's the mentality That's the attitude that Paul is saying we are to have in the church. That's the attitude he's saying that we are to have with each other. I'm not just putting up with you. I love you. I want relationship with you. I want all of this stuff to work out. Why? Because even the most annoying Christians are still a part of our family. They are still a part of our family. They are still a part of the body of Christ. And so when you put all of these things together, it leads to this. It causes us to be eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It ties it all together. We need to actually feel passionate about unity among God's people. Not just give it lip service, 
but actually try to do what's in our power to maintain unity. It doesn't mean ignoring problems. Jesus talked about that. If there's a problem, go talk to somebody, work it out. It doesn't mean there aren't consequences to failures. It doesn't mean that we have unity at all cost. Okay? Think about that. There are boundaries to Christian unity. You can think about it this way. People can unite over anything, but when you unite over something, it excludes something else. So you don't join a mountain biking group and then show up with your skateboard, right? Unity has boundaries. It sets boundaries. And so there are boundaries, and we actually get those boundaries here in this, passion, in this passage in verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So you cannot deny one body, but there is a boundary of one body. We would not look and say that that a a, uh, Muslim is part of the body of Christ. But we also can't say Lutherans are not part of the body of Christ. Presbyterians got it all right. There is one body. There is a boundary there. Um, We cannot deny the Trinity and call ourselves Christian. That's in there. One Lord, one Spirit, one Father. You cannot deny one faith. Uh, and, 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 but, but you also can't look and say all roads lead to heaven, right? There, there are boundaries here within the Scripture, boundaries to Christian unity. And one baptism, by the way, um, that's talking about Uh, When Jesus says, go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And whether you're one of those who says, only baptize uh, people when they're older, or or we baptize babies and people when they're older, you are still baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one hope. And those are the boundaries to Christian unity. And so when you begin to deny those things, what you're doing is you're setting yourself outside of the boundaries of our faith. And that's no longer what we would call Christianity. So there's that boundary that puts you out there, but then those boundaries also include those who affirm the core doctrines of our faith. So if someone affirms the doctrines of our faith, guess what? They're family. Those core doctrines. That's why we do things like the affirmation of faith where we, we do the Apostles' Creed. Today we're doing the Nicene Creed. We're, we're, we're calling back to those old words that describe those who affirm the core doctrines of faith. Now, if we want to see how all these five things work together, think again about parenting. It's a great analogy for this. <clears throat> when Your kids wake up, and they need breakfast, and they're too young to get it for themselves, and maybe they woke up a little early. You have a choice. I can think about myself, or I can think about them above myself. Humility. When when you ask your kid to get dressed, and then they come down, and they're wearing that outfit that they put together all by themselves, You have a choice. I can put my preferences above yours, or I can yield gentleness. 
when your kids are maybe a little older and they say, well, I need a cell phone, all my friends have one, or I need to watch this movie, all my friends have, right? You start to hear those things. And you know you're not ready for that. That wouldn't be good for you. God's word is, is, is convicting my heart on this, that you shouldn't have that. Even with all of that pressure, patience. You have a choice. You can stand firm in your conviction. When you find your kids annoying, which no parent ever does, <laughs> irritating, grating on that last nerve, you have a choice. You can bear with them in love, but even though they're annoying, they're still your child, and you love them. And throughout it all, you are eager for them to know that they belong, that you love them, that they are truly part of your family. Why do you do it all? Why? Because that's what it takes to walk in a manner worthy of being a parent. The same is true of our calling as part of God's family. The difference is we are all the children. We need someone who can treat us that way. The good news is that's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is always humble. In fact, Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. Jesus is always gentle. That's how he describes himself. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is always patient. He never compromised on the truth, even at the cost of his life. Jesus always bears with us in love. Think about his disciples. They fail just as much as we do. And Jesus never looked at them and he said, that's the last straw, you're out of here. What did he do? Always love. Always patience. Always bearing with them. And Jesus himself was so eager for peace that he became the peace that bonds his people together. Now, because Jesus has done that for us, we are now freed to live that way without fear of failure. We are now free to embrace humility because Jesus was humble for us. We are free to embrace gentleness because Jesus was gentle with us. We are free. We are free to embrace patience because Jesus was patient with us. We are free to bear with others in love because Jesus bore with us in love. Free to work for Christian unity because Jesus died to unite us to him. You can fully embrace it. You You can put all of your effort, everything in to living that out, even knowing that you won't do it perfectly Why? Because Jesus has done it for us. And God's command is not do it or else you're out of the family. His command is Jesus has treated you with overwhelming love expressed through his life. And now in his strength, go and do likewise. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. May God give us the strength to do that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, that you have called us to something that we could never have attained, that you have treated us in a manner that we could never have deserved. God, by your strength, 
Would you empower us to walk after you? Would you empower us to walk with humility, gentleness, patience? Lord, that we would bear with each other in love, that we would be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Lord, would you teach us and guide us? Holy Spirit, would you work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's continue in worship together. Thank you.